イドザマシン Hi, welcome back to Metapod. This is Martin Franklin from East Coast Studio, and we are still deep diving into the world of podcasting and finding how things tick. So, my question for this episode what does a producer actually do? I noticed that there's quite a variety of approaches to production within the podcasting world, and I was kind of curious about how different people do it. And I wanted to produce some sort of guidance for people who are perhaps thinking about producing a podcast or appointing a producer to produce their podcast.、Um, so that we just had a little bit of an overview of well, what, what could you expect and the different approaches that different people take to,、uh, to do that work. So, once again, I canvassed the Australian Podcasters Group and I had three sterling individuals step forward willing to talk to me and just share their thoughts in a conversation. So, in this episode, I'm talking to Courtney Carthy from Nearly Media, Nick McCorriston from Soundboy Audio, and Louise Paul from Welcome Change Media. And I'm really happy with the conversations that we had because Each of them takes a slightly different approach to the craft of being a producer, which is shaped by their background and their particular aptitude and, and take on what they, what they do best. So, we get into what's next for podcasting, music copyrights, content strategy, and a whole load of other stuff, which、um, honestly I hadn't expected to talk about before I hit record、uh, on the conversations. So let's jump into the first conversation I had, which was with Courtney Carthy from Nearly Media. Courtney's got a really strong radio background, spending almost a decade as a producer for ABC. He very kindly squeezed this interview into his journey from one place to the other in his car. So、um, you will hear the sound of the car in the background. And I did think I could spend a bit of time cleaning up the audio and removing. The various traffic noises that、uh, are in, in the background, but actually, I kind of like how it, how it sounds. He's in a car and he's talking to me through his AirPods,、um, and this is what it sounds like. I know your background is originally as a reporter and then producing in radio. I wonder if you could just give me your take on what's involved in the producer role for. For radio? It's basically everything but speaking on air,、um, is how I used to think of it. So I didn't sort of get myself boxed in about you know, what was or wasn't part of my job.、Um, I think before I worked in、um, radio, I really didn't appreciate, or media, you know, I started, I, first media sort of like. Role that I had was student radio, but I never appreciated how much work there was outside of the final product. And whenever I hear producer, I just think, you know, like the person that does everything, that knows what's going on everywhere,、um, you know, that can, that can yell at someone, not that I yell at people, but,、um, you know, that can identify. Can see the end but knows where to start. Yeah, so in terms of the,、um, the shows that you worked on, could you 
just kind of go into what's involved in t- from a production point of view? Yeah, so um, the bulk of my time at ABC Radio um, and, you know, radio in general was as a live radio producer. So that would be like, you know, finding stories, briefing the host, briefing the talent, um, deciding how we were going to cover a story. So, you know, effectively acting like a bit of an editor, um, you know, sort of more like a newspaper editor, not an audio editor. Um, And then, you know, pushing the boundaries of, you know, what sort of, um, you know, angle we might take or, you know, how we respond to something or what the audience might like um, and thinking about how that fits into the overall show and the overall context of, you know, where we were, you know, broadcasting. Um, And it would be, you know, physically getting on the phone, calling people, you know, as fast as you can so that you can get people booked on that show either the same day or the next, you know, couple of days. Um, And then live producing the show. So that would be directing the host, um, updating the host, managing guests coming in and out, um, cutting audio, getting audio, dealing with technical problems, answering the phones, um, pushing the buttons on the desk sometimes, dealing with legal issues, choosing music. Um, You know, there's a whole host of stuff that goes on um, as you'd know. Um, yeah, so we, that's, that's great. So can, can we move on to how does that role transfer into the world of podcasting as far as how you do it? Um, well, the ability to conceptualise and then conceptualise audio and hear it before you've heard it is probably the biggest thing. I've spent so much time explaining what shows will sound like and show formats um, how they'll run to clients or, you know, just people, you know, that uh, don't work in podcasts but, you know, would like to have a podcast made or, you know, helping me with a podcast show. Um, and people can't perceive what it'll be like. You know, if you say, you know, we'll have a cold open where you're speaking for maybe 30 seconds and then we'll hit some music and then that'll fade out into a second introduction that's got, you know, the proper sort of show um, you know, theme and this and that, and then that'll go into the interview, and then we'll, you know, do a little bit of voiceover in the interview. You get through all the details, and people just can't hear it. Like people that work in, um, you know, radio or podcasting or um, audio production can hear it. With you um, taking such a experienced role in in shaping the podcast, what do the clients bring to you to, as a starting point? They usually want a story told or a message conveyed. So they want they want to tell people about how, um, yeah, their customers have had a great experience or that their, you know, senior manager is really knowledgeable about something or update their staff on, you know, weekly things. Often it's something that they're interested in and, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, but it usually often often has to be shaped a little bit to make it interesting beyond their immediate um, team. And, you know, what's interesting in one context is absolutely uninteresting in another context. And that's, that's not saying that any context is better than another, but podcasts traverse 
you know, several contexts, whether that's online, um, somebody listening, you know, privately, or, you know, you're trying to get listeners publicly. You know, a few years ago, I worked in the culture sector in the UK, and for one of the organisations that I used to work for, we uh, had a media company come in to do some consulting on a project, and they started saying to us, you need to find a predator to do a particular role. And this is the first time I'd ever heard this uh, amalgamation of two roles. It's producer, editor. So it's someone who can conceptualize your content and then actually create it and edit it to get you from the, uh, the start right to the finished content. So we've heard from Courtney Carthy there, who I think is very much coming from the producer direction. And now we're going to hear from Nick McCorriston. And then coming up after Nick, there's an indication, I think, of a fourth role, which is somebody who can do that end-to-end production plus do a little bit of strategy around it as well. And it's probably one of the things that we do here at East Coast Studio. So let's jump into the interview with Nick McCorriston. When you popped up on the Facebook thread, you kind of introduced yourself as a engineer and editor. Yeah. And I know I've just had a quick look on your your website and you've got production duties as well. Yep. How do you see the difference between those different roles? It's interesting because uh, I do generally prefer um, the editing side of work. I like the, that's, that's where I feel skilled and that's where I feel, um, uh, creative. I feel as though in the industry these days, when a company says they're looking for a producer, they're looking for someone who's a script writer. They're looking for someone who is, um, ready to write copy that is ready to, um, Mm -hmm. churn out a, a, a more of a commercial, the commercial end of a product, um, as well as have some skills, in digital editing and um, in in uh, yeah digital production and and generally a, a some sort of an idea of how to make something sound good, but it, that's definitely not a priority. So um, I tend to step away from jobs that pitch specifically as looking looking for a producer. I like to mm-hmm. um, focus on uh, making the shows that I work on sound good and consistent, rather than um, sort of focusing too much on an aspect of uh, the shows that I'm not very skilled in and that um, I'm not confident um, in, yeah, achieving a, mm. uh, an end goal with. So, um, yeah, like f- for me, editing is about, um, yeah, providing the best experience for a listener that, that they can, a consistent experience for a listener, and that's through, you know, conforming to loudness standards so that um, shows generally sound all the same and sound um, consistent so that uh, listeners don't have to grab for a volume knob every time they switch a show. Um, yeah, it's that real sort of technical technical production yeah. level. So when you take on clients, what do they what do they come to you with as far as their their podcast goes? That's a wide range of stuff. I mean, I've worked with um, a number of different people over the last five years. I've kind of been working in podcasts in the last five years. I started on a more of a Twitch panel show, so focused specifically on a video game called Destiny. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a podcast called the Destiny Community Podcast, and we'd have 
four or five hosts and then a guest on top of that. Um, so we'd have a lot of audio that would come in each week. Um, that's a lot of editing when you get more than three people. It sort of goes well, that's into right. a whole other. Well, it, it, becomes, it becomes about priorities then and, and the show would run for two, two and a half hours. And so the, the, the priority wasn't necessarily editing anything um, editing people's ums and ahs and stuff out of it. It was really yeah. just making sure the product was produced and ready to go um, and ready to be published. Um, and I started putting the audio on on the video content side of it as well and pushing that out. And that kind of gave me my, my, my leg up in getting things going. And then from there, um, I've really only sort of had people contacting me in regards to my skills in the last couple of years, really. Up until then, it was me chasing work and me um, essentially looking for listening to podcasts and loving podcasts and enjoying podcasts and identifying the shows that I thought that I could improve on and then contacting them directly, just cold messaging them saying, I think I can do this for you. I can do X for you um, for this much. Is that amenable to you? And they'd say yes or no. And, and we'd go from there. So yeah. So from a practical point of view, when when you get a, a client who says, Yeah, I you know, I'm I'm sold on yep. having you work on the show, what are they what do they sort of supply with for you? Uh, it varies on person to person and content to content. Um, I work with a couple of content creators um, at the moment who are primarily focused on YouTube these days, but they have podcast mm-hmm. sides of their content. Uh, Jared Kimber is my main client. He's a cricket journalist, uh, who's based an Australian based in the UK. Uh, and we started by him, um, essentially just servicing me with, uh, a couple of audio files that he recorded with, with the guest as an interview. Um, uh, mostly zoom calls just like this. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, I'd take the good quality audio recording of Jared and clean that up and then, uh, take the zoom call, uh, of the guest and essentially run that through processes to just try and clean that up as best as possible um, mm. and make that sound not as harsh as, as a Zoom call might make something sound sometimes. Um, and that's kind of where I got a lot of the basis for my work was sort of doing that and people spotting spotting that. Um, yeah. And sort of, yeah, my pitch is that I can make bad audio sound good or more listenable. So um, that's kind of what I pitch to people is that, you yeah. know. I, I and, can, and do you find people are, are responsive to that? That idea that if they sound better, everybody's been on Zoom a lot the last two years, and everyone knows what that sounds like. Um, and you want to try and avoid that as as best as possible because um, it's an experience that a lot of people have day to day still um, of going For into sure. Zoom calls in meetings and having yeah. to put up with with the sound of people's rooms over and over again. So yeah, it's it's definitely something that that's been attractive. Um and yeah, my business saw an uptick in in business over over covid. Um uh, it just it meant that I was more consistently working from home and um yeah. just meant that more people had time to create content and so that's um that's that's been the basis yeah. of the, the that, business that, for that's now. That's great. I I had a look at um some of the shows that you you produce and funnily enough I I've just I just followed one of them today, uh-huh. which which was the independent music oh, great. podcast. And I yeah, absolutely love the love the sound of that. And funnily enough, yeah. you've got a the latest episode embedded on your site with a little yep. sort of ticker of the the title or something. Uh-huh. And um, one of the artists whose release gets covered in in this episode is an artist who I used to work with back, oh, back in the UK. 
Yeah, great. He, uh, Yannick Schaefer, and he, he's just got a an album released as with a, a collaboration with William Bozinski. Yep, um, amazing. So uh, yeah, so I was like, oh, Yannick. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. Gave a quick listen to it, and I thought, yeah, I, I really like this. And what I wondered um, if you have any kind of guidance on is that use of copyrighted music in in the show, right? Um, that's it's an interesting topic. It's something that I've thought about the independent music podcast quite a lot. Um, they they specifically um, don't uh, pursue. Uh, any licensing um, deliberately, they offer the show as a service. And so any of the independent labels that they work with or speak to, um, they have a, a, a almost an unspoken agreement that it is essentially just a free promotion um, for them. So they get, All right. they get uh, companies uh, contacting them. Um, mm-hmm. essentially asking them to play them on the show. It's not unlike a radio station, essentially, yeah. Um, yeah. but it's operating as though um, it's a free promotional service, essentially. Um, and so, that yeah, they don't necessarily pursue any of that. Uh, they haven't had any issues with it so far. And we're, mm. I mean, yeah. I've been with them for close to 200-odd episodes, I think, and 150-odd oh, um, okay. episodes. Um, yeah. And they did, yeah, about 200 before that. So... Um, yeah, they've, they've, everyone's been mostly just really warm. They mostly play labels that they know. Uh, Anthony, um, Chalmers is, uh, well, both of them are former, um, record label owners. Mm. Uh, and Anthony Chalmers runs Baba Yaga's Hut in London, which is a booking, um, a live concert booking, um, agency. And so he runs the Raw Power Festival in the UK. And so they've both got pretty deep connections to independent mm. labels. Um, they have a sponsorship from State 51 who are an oh, yeah. independent label that they play a lot from as well. And right. So, yeah, they, they have close relationships with the labels that they play. Thanks to Nick there for the information and the excellent sounding audio. So stick with me now because we're going into the web of content with Louise Paul. What should potential clients expect from their podcast producer and what's the kind of general sort of remit because different people kind of do it differently. So I just wonder what's your take on the producer's role? Uh, well, podcasting isn't radio. Um, so that I suppose that's always important to uh, realise from a, a production point of view and, and from a listening point of view as well. Um it's funny, when you email me that question about what does a produ- uh, producer do, I actually thought maybe the question should be what doesn't a producer do? Because <laughs> it's like we're everything in a way, uh, depending on how much uh, people want to invest with us in terms of time. But the biggest difference between, say, coming from a radio production background and uh, taking on clients as a podcast producer is when you're in radio, you often are removed from the client when you're making stuff, someone gives you a brief. And so you don't have often have that direct interaction with you, with them. Um, and so talking to clients, so much of it is less about the skills and more about being a bit of a life coach, like a bit of a counselor, a, a manager. you it's it's a kind of it's it's coaching the performance out of them, but also helping them overcome nerves and and helping their guests overcome the nerves as well. I really like that um, th- that approach. Could we just talk a little bit more about um, some instances of that that 
that you've encountered where you need to actually work with the client in order to help them deliver what they want to? I have a wonderful client who actually helps people overcome imposter syndrome um, and is the first to admit that she um, suffers from imposter syndrome herself. And I'm constantly telling her, don't give away the farm. You don't have to give everyone everything for free to prove to yourself that you are valid, which is always really interesting because this is exactly the kind of stuff that she would say to other people too. Like if you listen to any of her work, her courses, she'd be telling people that as well. So it's it's often I'll get a text message from clients where they, they might be having a, a bit of a we've got a record day set up on Tuesday and it feels really overwhelming. And so it's talking through that let's calm down and let's, we've got these steps. If we just achieve this, you don't have to worry about the big picture. We're just going to focus on this thing for today. That's all you have to focus on. It's my job to worry about the big picture for us. So I think there's a lot of that. Um, and a lot of, and it used to be something I, I would get in radio all the time where listeners would say, I hate the sound of my own voice. And we never really hate the sound of somebody else's voice. But when you hear yourself, a lot of people don't like how they sound. And so there's a lot of reassurances that you do sound good. This sounds great. You've got a bit of a USP of, of uh, having been an announcer yourself at some stage. Yeah. So do you, do you kind of use those skills in the coaching phase with clients? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, teaching them how to present ways to improve, you know. One of the things that we actually do offer is with the clients that we have is we do do reg- kind of regular air checks of people's productions. So we put it together and then um, because I do full service as well, whereas a regular producer might not necessarily take it all the way to the post-production stage, I can tell them, okay, well, here is all the crutches that I've edited out and here's where we can improve on that. You know, if you pause before this, if we do a bit more research on this, and I think that's really quite valuable actually to come at it from not just a technical point of view, but actually a performance point of view. Mm-hmm. So when when clients arrive at your door, what do they typically sort of bring with them as far as the the podcast that they would like to have produced? They have ideas and I think they have a lot of dreams and visions and what we do is to take all those ideas and put them into a tangible, workable strategy to bring what they hope they want to make to life um, in a practical mm-hmm. sense as well. So... And also fitting within, I suppose, the budget on that too, because, you know, everyone tells me they love true crime podcasts, but the amount of production that goes into a true crime style podcast is not necessarily accessible for most people who want to start a podcast. Yeah. So it's sometimes having those conversations. The other thing I was curious about is you, you mentioned about content creation. Do you get involved in that side of things as well, or like help, helping people to produce content to promote what they do? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the other, actually, and I probably would say we have more clients in, at least in the early days, because we've only been running the business out for a year that are coming from a more of a, a spinning of content side. So uh, lots of things to do with social media, videos, um, article writing. So what we, we designed this concept called the um, the content web where we see content, whatever that piece of content is, whether it's a podcast or whether it's a, a a course that you've written as the spider in the middle and you can spin it out to all these different places on the web and, you know, it, that, that, that one 30-minute podcast could become 
five different articles on LinkedIn. It could become, you know, yeah. 10 different static posts. It could We could turn it into, you know, those three-minute long minimum Facebook videos that fit the algorithm and Reels and or YouTube. Mm. Um, and then all those bits are also interchangeable, like because the content feeds itself. Uh, you, you could then say, well, from that podcast episode, maybe that's the start of a micro course. But then if we move it around, the micro course of the spider in the middle could then also shoot out the podcast. Yeah. So we, we really work with people on repurposing. And that's probably a big thing that came from, uh, as an idea from my radio background, repurposing and recycling, because people don't listen to all the thing all the time in radio. Um, I don't think that was a very good way to put it, but you could run the same break uh, across three different days of the week and it's not the same audience listening at the same time. And yeah, social media is a bit like that as well because the algorithms only push out your content to a certain percentage of people. So repurpose, recycle, and you save yourself a lot of headache. Yeah, I, I have a similar similar concept that I try to promote to a lot of my people, but I, I find even people who are marketers, kind of f- seem to sort of struggle to adopt that sometimes. I, th- I wonder mm. whether they sort of see a podcast as something which is isolated, you know, in itself. It's just like, oh, we'll do this extra little thing. But the idea of integrating it into a whole cycle of messaging seems to be something which is kind of harder than it mm. should be. <laughs> I don't know. No, um, no, I, I know. Like we actually tinkered of the idea, do we call it a podcast, like what we're doing? It is a podcast and that's how people know it. But mm. I also think there's this perception that people have of a podcast is two dudes sitting in a closet talking shit. And that's not necessarily what it is either. It can be a really powerful branding tool to integrate into your whole strategy. Mm. Um, and yeah, yes, definitely. yes, definitely in getting people to understand that it, it, it is a, it's a powerful thing that is part of a whole. Like you, I don't think that you could just have a podcast for your business and that was the only way that you marketed. Um, mm, mm. But So you're talking about content strategy really, aren't you? And that I, kind of Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down to content strategy. So yeah. I know we were talking about what does a podcast producer do, but I, I suppose a really good podcast producer is thinking of the whole picture. How do you, yeah, how do you make yeah. this work for the person that you're trying to help succeed.